The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the word uh, this morning. I'm excited to do that. If you have some note-taking materials, I want to encourage you to take those out. I, I encourage uh, taking notes just to jot some things down so that they can uh, uh, be revisited in your own time. God is speaking to you all the time, uh, and sometimes taking notes really is helpful in uh, revisiting those things. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we get into the scripture this morning. So these are a few things that we're going to find as we move through the word together. One of these things, the first thing we're going to find is why Jesus was born. You can refer to maybe a little Christmas in July. I could go for that myself. Uh, It's a little toasty outside, a little warm. I hope you had a a really great 4th of July, by the way. I know I did. Uh, I got to to relive a lot of my youth watching my own um, kids lighting firecrackers and blowing things up and uh, doing things that uh, I'm sure I used to make my parents nervous uh, over when I would do them, but uh, one of the things that we're going to find is why Jesus was born. The second thing we're going to find is what happens when you're born again. What happens when you become a Christian? There's something that happens. The Scripture uh, reveals it to us, and it's it's worth noting in order to uh, be able to embrace what's going on. And then a third thing that we're going to find is your, and this is just how I put it, so it's not like the Bible describes it as this, but you're going to see it in the scripture, what I refer to as your kingdom rights. I mean, your rights as a citizen in the kingdom of God. Uh, Rights have been a a major issue in the news recently. Anyone who's looked at any kind of social media or turned on any kind of news have probably heard a lot of headlines and and news, uh, whether they're articles or whether they're its correspondence, uh, a lot of issues with rights and things like that. Uh, We're going to find out what your rights are in the kingdom of God. Okay, I want to get straight into the word. If you have your Bibles, uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Now, what we're going to find here is that first thing, why Jesus was born. You go to the book of Hebrews, you make your way to chapter 2, we look at verse 14, and we're going to see why Jesus was born here in the scripture. Uh, It's important for us as we pursue uh, understanding of this, just to, to ask ourselves, God, why did you include this in the Word? I mean, it's not accidental. It's not like they needed filler. It's not like God's publisher said, hey, we need 1,300 pages, and you're short a few. Can you just put a little fluff in there? I mean, God's speaking this. He's revealing this to us for a reason and for a purpose. So Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it reads like this, Jesus himself became flesh so that. I mean, I pause there and I realize that what's about to be revealed is the reason or the purpose behind Jesus's coming in bodily form. That means it's kind of a big deal. I mean, it's worth making note of. Jesus himself became flesh so that through death he might render powerless the one who had, did you see had, past tense, the power of death, that is the devil. Now, it doesn't end there, but it goes on to include more. And that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. So this passage of scripture that identifies why Jesus was born goes hand in hand and lines up with with the other elements of scripture that we see. I mean, 
Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is talking to us about his purpose. I mean, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And in the, the list of reasons why God would, would put his spirit upon, upon him and release him to minister in the power of the kingdom of heaven, one of those elements is to set free or to liberate or bring freedom to those who are in bondage or slavery or oppression. So when we see here in Hebrews that, that the reason why Jesus came was to render the one who had the power of death powerless and to set free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives, we see the purpose behind the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not become subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, there's two elements there that re refer to, to something being uh, possible, a relapse, so to speak. When I read that passage of Scripture, they stand out to me, and I hope they do to you as well. I mean, you open up with this identity of why Jesus is at work in your life for freedom. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing Continue standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. All of these things are revealing to us that this yoke of slavery is something that's meant to be in our past. Something that we've been liberated from. Now there's reasons for this and we'll find those things in the scripture because something great happens when we're born again. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Colossians. I told you we were going to find a few things. One, why Jesus was born. Well, we saw that in Hebrews. He was born so that we could be liberated from slavery. And then what happens when we're born again? Well, we'll see that here in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I want to look at verses 13 and 14 together. Colossians 1 beginning in verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So when I read that passage of Scripture, I realize something. I realize that the he there is God. That's, that's God the Father. That's your, your maker, your heavenly Father. God rescued you, and he rescued you from a specific thing. That is the domain of darkness. I mean, those are things that just sound kind of dark, you know, like when you read it, you expect to hear villain music, you know. He rescued you from the domain of darkness, dun, 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 right? It just, it's, it's a dark thing when you think about it, but we need to understand what that is. What is the domain of darkness? If I was rescued from it, if God delivered me from it, do I even know what it was that he rescued me from? And, and for me personally, I have to, to identify what the words are, what they mean. I mean, what is, I know what darkness is. I could kill the lights in here, and I'm familiar with what it means to have an absence of light. But, but domain, it's not really a, a word that I use very often. In fact, I only see that word uh, as it concerns the Internet and as it concerns, like, fantasy stories and, and, and things like that, where you have realms and domains. So if we go and we look up that word domain, it, it does. It means something under the jurisdiction or rule of. 
And when we realize that God is at work in Jesus liberating us or delivering us from the domain of darkness, it's informing us that we've been rescued from the rule of evil. That domain of darkness, where the absence of light was once ruling and reigning, we've been set free from that, rescued from that, and then transferred. It's a wonderful word to consider transferred. I mean, it's one thing to rescue something, and it's another thing to rescue it and then tend to it. And that's why you see things in the scripture such as uh, the Good Samaritan and things like that, where, you know, a man is found, he's been hurt, he's been wounded, he's been robbed, so he's helped. Not only is he helped, but then he's tended to and taken care of. God doesn't just rescue us. Oh, I have pity on them. They're suffering. Uh, they're in pain. They're in sorrow. Uh, so I'm going to rescue them. But he goes beyond rescuing and then uh, imparts wonderful and precious blessing. The rest of the passage reads like this. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and then transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So at any point for any Christian, any believer, this has taken place. A domain of darkness was once over our lives, we were rescued from that and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I mean, I want to just break down what that is for the purpose of identifying what I believe we need to to understand and how we need to think. You're dealing here with two issues, two realms, two domains, two kingdoms, if you would, two governments. That's really what you're dealing with. One government is the domain of darkness. At one time in my life or in your life before Jesus, that's what was in charge. No matter how nice you were, no matter how mean you were, if Jesus wasn't in charge, that is what was in charge. When we're born again, we're rescued from that and then transferred into a different government. That government is the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Now, we really don't think about being born again or becoming Christians in in the sense of processing it through government, but we ought to. It's really very present in the scripture. In fact, let me give you a couple of scriptures here as it concerns uh, government in the Bible. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. It It reads like this, And to him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom, or a government, that all peoples, nations, men from every language might serve him. His dominion will be an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and a kingdom which will not be destroyed. I mean, there's a lot of government in that passage of Scripture there. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no increase, or excuse me, there will be no end to the increase, big difference there, no end to the increase of his government or of peace. That's what happens when I don't wear my glasses and I'm reading. No end to the increase of his government. I mean, this is kind of a a thing here that I'm, I'm hung up on because I don't think we process our faith through the idea of of government. 
And what's really amazing is that, that when you see every aspect of the scripture, you see God speaking about government as he's speaking about his son. And I want you to consider this for a moment. I mean, I think this is something worth pausing and thinking about. Even as it concerns the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, when we spoke earlier, we identified why Jesus became flesh in the first place. Well, it was so that through death, he could render powerless the one who had the power of death and liberate us from bondage. He came to life and he laid his life down. I want you to consider why he laid his life down. You have to think about for a moment the, the, the scene of the cross. And it's a, it's a gruesome scene, and, and I don't want to, to simply add theatrics and drama with all of the, the pain and the suffering and the sorrow, but I want you to consider for a moment all of the, the things that are going on. A man arrested, a mock trial, uh, all of the, the, the mocking then and, and the beating and all of those things. And throughout this, uh, nobody is complaining, nobody is fussing, nobody is whining. All of the accusers are standing by, feeling like they have accomplished their mission, the destruction of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he's nailed to the cross and he's lifted high. And he's hanging there, every breath moving closer and closer to the death that he was destined to provide for me and for you. And then a sign is placed over his head. Now remember the whole time that the beating and the mocking and all of this is going on, none of the accusers are complaining. In fact, they're thrilled. They're getting everything they want. Until this little sign is placed over his head. This little sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. And as soon as that sign goes up, all of the accusers begin to fuss and whine and complain. Hey, you take that down. It tells you something. It tells you that wasn't done in mockery. That wasn't done in jest. Because in all of the mocking and in all of the jesting and in all of the violence and all of the hate and the slander and all of the spitting and the beating and all of those things, there were no complaints. But when that sign went up, that sign was for real. This is the king of the Jews. I mean, there's so much about government and Jesus' role in government in the scripture that we need to take note of that and ask ourselves, do we see Jesus as a, a, a king in our lives? Do we see him as a fixture of government in our life? Is Jesus Christ a fixture of government in, in my life, in the life of the church, in the life of, of my marriage, in the life of my family, is Jesus Christ at the center of everything that would govern decisions, actions, etc. Jesus didn't hide that government was really the, the point. In fact, uh, let me give you a few passages of Scripture here, beginning in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time on, okay, so if I were to say from that time on, what you're having revealed to you is, is from that point and every point that came after that, okay? So this is something that didn't just happen once or twice. What's being revealed is a very consistent thing. From that point on, Jesus preached saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about government. He's talking about a ruling authority in your life and in my life. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. 
He was giving instruction to, to those who were believing and, and being sent out to go and minister. As you go, preach. And preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons freely as you received, freely give. Isn't it funny that before this call to go and, and do these wonderful, miraculous works, Jesus would say, hey, go and talk to people about the government that exists in their life. Go and preach to them about government. Go and talk to them about the government that God has established on their behalf. Preach to them about the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 10 verse 9. Heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I mean, what he's revealing there is that the kingdom of God and its presence in our life is what brings about that healing. Heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. He talks about the same thing as it concerns deliverance. Matthew 12, 28. Cast out demons by the Spirit of God because the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we're talking about government. I mean, for, for a lot of us, as it concerns our Christianity, I don't know that that's the, the train of thought that we spend a lot of time in. But, but I think we ought to. I think it's really important. Now, we have a, a situation in, in our nation right now where government is, is really the hot topic. I mean, I, I've been alive for 40 years. I've seen a lot of elections. I've seen a lot of different things. And I don't know that I've ever seen the political turmoil or the political unrest that I see today. Uh, government's a really big issue. And I don't think that government ever uh, was a small issue. I just think it's really big today, bigger than I've ever seen it. And it has my wheels turning. It has me thinking. It has me evaluating things. Maybe it's just kind of in my head. And so everything that I'm exposed to, I could read the cereal box while I'm sitting at the table in the morning, and I might be reading it through the idea of government, thinking, don't tread on me, Cheerios. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But government is so big in our, our situations right here and right now and in every choice and every decision there are going to be long-lasting effects and it's all happening through government that when I'm reading the scripture I'm seeing the importance of reading the scripture through that through the idea of government the fact that Jesus is more than just you know oh merciful Jesus my savior my redeemer but he is my king the sign they placed on the top of that cross didn't say Redeemer, didn't say Merciful, didn't say Savior. It said, this is the King of the Jews. King. King. I have to ask myself, is Jesus my King? And what a wonderful thing to ask yourself. Can you imagine how many choices and how many decisions would be affected if every one of those choices and every one of those decisions were passed through? Is this the instruction of my king? Is this the counsel of my king? I have a feeling a great deal of the choices and the decisions that we make would be affected tremendously, I can tell you for me personally, I know. I know they would be. So at some point, Christianity for believers needs to, to, to stop just being an, an ideal or, or a series of ideals, you know, a, a, some kind of a, an attempt at a moral compass. 
but an understanding that when I was born again, there was a transfer of government. I was pulled out of the government or the domain of darkness and transferred into the government or the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light. And that government has an effect on who I am, how I behave, the things that I do, the things that I say, the things that I think, the things that I participate in. I want us to consider something for a moment. And I, I know that it, it's, we won't take long doing this, but I want you to think about this. It's real easy to think about government uh, when it, this time of year. You know, we, yesterday was July the 4th. Uh, if you were like me, you were sitting out watching fireworks going off and, and hearing the, the sound of fireworks long into the night. And those things being a reminder of, of the freedoms and the liberties that we have here. But the 4th of July is an interesting holiday to me personally. When you ask most people, you know, what, what are we celebrating on the 4th of July? Well, for uh, many, the answer would be freedom and, and Ultimately, that's a great answer. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with that answer. But the 4th of July is, is, is not called Freedom Day. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a day in which, you know, America gained its freedom or something like that. Uh, its title, its, its official title is Independence Day. Something happened on July 4th, 1776, and, and, and it's that that's being celebrated. And it's the, it's the Declaration of Independence, the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It, it was publicly read out loud. This was a really big deal. And it's really that that I think is worth making a note of and considering. And you have to understand, too, the things that, that were going on there, the things that were happening. And I think when you see those things, you can realize that those things were, were very uh, physical and they were very... Uh, uh, connected to the things that were going on at the time, but yet they have a lot of parallels and connection to what's going on in my life and in your life right here and now. And I'm not simply talking about in politics. I'm talking about in the spirit. In fact, I mean, consider this. The Declaration of Independence is about identifying a government that is abusive. That's the whole thing. I mean, we don't really talk like this anymore. But when they penned this document, it was with tremendous thought and care. And when they wrote it out, they wrote out these words. They said, in the course of human events, when it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political connection or the political bands that connect them with another, it said that there's a decent respect to the opinions of mankind, to reveal the causes that move them or impel them to that separation. They go on to declare this, you know, that this is the part that most people know and, and, and cite, you know, that, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Now, if you're Joe Biden, you can't say that, right? And listen, I don't care who you're going to vote. Actually, I kind of do care who you vote for, but I'm not opposed to you having your opinion. But let me tell you something. I think it's really sad when a political party has, has gone so far away from what we stand for as America that you can't quote the Declaration of Independence. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I don't think that that was a, a, a senior moment. I don't think that that was a, a, a you know, Alzheimer's moment. I think what he realizes is I can't say created. I can't say men without saying in women. 
I can't, I can't even quote this anymore without putting my foot in my mouth 18 different ways according to the beliefs and views of our political party. That's a problem. Can't say truth and, and creator and, and all of these things, but we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, you know the others, liberty, you know, and, and, and the thing. I'm just joking. You know the thing. Gosh. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, those are, those are these, these uh, uh, rights that we are endowed with, that we're given. And then they go on and they, they, they reveal that it's the whole point. You know, I mean, these rights, that, that the whole reason why they're sitting there, the whole reason why they're talking about government in the first place, as they're writing this down, they continue to write that to secure these rights... Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You could take that statement right there, and we could spend all day discussing that. The great and wonderful things about it, the, the many attempts to violate that that are going on right now. It goes on to say that, that at any point when, when these rights are being violated, that it's the right of the people to alter or abolish that government and institute new government. To, to lay its foundation on the right principles and to form its powers in such form as to them seem most likely to affect their, their safety and their happiness to secure those rights. I mean, when you read the Declaration of Independence and you see what's going on, you can see, wow, there's, there has been a huge violation in government and people are not looking to throw government away, but they're looking to fix it. And when we look at our lives as Christians, you know, in my life before Jesus Christ, I, I was in that domain of darkness, a subject of abuse, I was in bondage, I was a slave, and then along comes Jesus Christ to liberate me, to set me free to transfer me from the domain of darkness into that kingdom of light. But there is something that I want us to, to note here, just even from the, the Declaration of Independence. Consider its title. You know, I, I love that it's not the letter of independence. You know, the blog of independence. But it's this Declaration. This was a statement, and it was a statement that men signed their names to, saying, yes, that's my statement. That's my statement. I stand by it. That's my statement. I stand by it. And they all signed their name to it. When you and I become believers, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, when we believe that God raised him from the dead, when we step into Christianity, a declaration is being made, a declaration that I see that this previous form of government had me in bondage and in slavery, and I make this declaration that it is no longer going to abuse me, but a new government will be instituted, a government that has Jesus Christ upon the throne, a declaration made and a name signed to it. I want to ask you a question. And I mean, it's just kind of a goofy question, so don't feel like it's, it's real weighty. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence is signed. 
On July 5th, 1776, are those people free? No. No. It's going to take years. It's going to take everything they've got. And according to them, at the end of the declaration, it's going to take a lot of God's favor. When we become Christians, when we become believers, when we make that declaration that we're no longer going to suffer this tyrannical government, this domain of darkness, and we put Jesus as the king of our lives, just like those founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, we just declared open war. It's the reason why there's even spiritual warfare going on in your life right here and right now. There's a battle that's taking place. We celebrate that that battle is over, that it's finished, that it's won, but the effects of those things are felt even here and now. God's doing great things in our lives. He's liberating us. Liberating us from all the rule and the reign that exists in this world and setting us free to the righteous and just rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's going to require something, and I want to look at what it requires in a moment. I told you we were going to find out what our kingdom rights are. I mean, if I were to ask you what your rights are as an American citizen, you might refer to the Declaration of Independence. Your mind might go straight to those unalienable rights, and you might say life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I want to give you a a passage of Scripture that I personally consider to be our kingdom rights. Again, I'm offering this to you as a thought or as, as an opinion. It is my opinion. I, I, I hold to it. But from Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it speaks of what the kingdom of God consists of or what makes it up. And this is how it reads. The kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If someone were to ask me, Preston, you've become a believer, you've been delivered from the domain of darkness, and you have been released or transferred into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, with Jesus as your king, what are your unalienable rights as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I could easily stand and say that it is my right to righteousness, thanks to Jesus. It is my right to peace at all times, no matter how many bricks are being thrown, no matter how many Wendy's are burned down. And I said it last week, I like Wendy's. Quit burning down Wendy's. Amen. And I have the right to joy, no matter what is going on around me. No matter how much sorrow, no matter how much depression, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, I have the right to joy. These are our rights as Christians. In the Spirit, in the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want to offer to you. The same way that these men in 1776 realized God's given us rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, these rights are being tread upon by an outside influence. We've got to act. I want to encourage you to see, to realize that you have rights in the kingdom of God. You have the right to righteousness. You're not a slave to sin. There's no temptation that can sweep you away that you're not equipped to resist. And I can show you a number of scriptures that testify to that. 
We are empowered to function and operate in the midst of the will of God. I have the right to peace. You have the right to peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. No matter how much hell or chaos is going on all around us, we have the right to peace. There are a number of outside influences that are attempting to touch my peace constantly. I mean, almost with every news headline. And I now see that as an attempt to violate my rights as a son of God. We have the right to joy. Joy. That awareness and that celebration that victory belongs to God. I've walked through difficult times. I've seen the passing of loved ones. I, uh, there are painful things that have happened in my life. But I've never, ever, ever been in a place where I did not have access to joy through Jesus. To separate a believer from any one of these rights is to introduce the grossest of violations upon everything that God has done for every child of God in Jesus. And so what I want to offer this today is the same way that we would all be mindful of our rights. The same, you know, you can't even turn on the radio or the news without hearing about rights violations here and there and all of that. I would like to, to put on an awareness to every believer, just, just to, to be able to put it on as in you just slip it on over your, your mind like a, it's your helmet. An awareness that sees clearly these things. I have a right to these things and there are attempts to violate them. And I want to respond to those attempts to violate them as if I know my rights. I want to be able to stand in the face of temptation. And I want to be able to speak or declare like a declaration of independence. Temptation, Satan, you are in violation of my unalienable rights as a child of God, the right to righteousness. I want to be able to identify those rights violations for the purpose of putting them in their proper place and responding accordingly. And I think as believers, if we have our, our eyes open to see that God has done this great thing, it will equip us to function and operate in his design, not simply knowing Jesus as our Savior or our Redeemer, which is wonderful and we should, but stepping into knowing Jesus as our King, walking in His government, His authority, celebrating and cherishing, protecting, and being willing to, to fight for the rights that God brings into our lives as Christians, the right to righteousness, the right to peace, and the right to joy. You know, the, those authors of the Declaration of Independence, when they put this document together, identifying the need to address a government that was tyrannical and establish a government that was not, they realized that it was going to cost them everything. And this is really where we stand as Christians. To stand today and to say, do you want to walk in your kingdom rights of righteousness, peace, and joy? Everybody would say yes. The question is, are we willing to pay the price to do so? Let me tell you what the price was for our founding fathers in 1776. This is the last line of the Declaration of Independence. So they write all of these things. They identify the need for, for a change in government. They give the reasons why, which is the whole point of the Declaration. And then they close it with this line. 
And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledge, that means we all agree, we pledge to one another our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I mean, for us to defend and to secure our rights as believers, that right to righteousness, that right to peace, that right to joy in the Holy Spirit, it's going to mean pledging to one another the same. I'll stand by you. I won't abandon you. I'll support you. And we'll fight together to see to it that righteousness is upheld. That peace is protected. And that joy is celebrated. It's funny to me that, that these men, when they wrote this, they weren't looking for the other one to carry it out. It doesn't say anything about the militia will secure these things for us. But they realize the only way this works, the only way the shackles of tyranny come off and we come to know a righteous and just government is if we're willing to support one another and not eat each other. We could take a lesson and stand together as the church and realize God's called us to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy, and those rights are being assaulted every single day. We need to support one another in fighting for those rights. We need to be there for each other in securing those rights. We need to stand together and declare that Jesus is king. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. First Corinthians 4.20 says something. It says that the kingdom of God doesn't exist in words, but in power. Let me tell you what that means. I mean, it means that you can read this and you can write it down and you can have it written out on paper in front of you and that's really not going to do anything. It's, it's in the power. It's in our actions. It's in the effects of those words. To see that Jesus is king though it's true, has no impact on your life. But to surrender to that, to allow Jesus to be king in our decisions and in our choices, well, that changes everything. And though we use words, those words are only as strong as the actions that support them. For example, what good is a declaration of independence if no one fights for it, it's not worth the paper it's penned on. So the words that we speak today, I mean, the words that I've spoken and the words that you've read and the words that you've heard, though they're true and they might even be inspirational, the effect, the, the real worth of today is in what comes next. How is this going to affect my life? Will I let Jesus be my king or will I simply... Know in my mind that Jesus is king. 
when we come together and get into the Word, it's not simply to increase our intelligence or our, our Bible IQ. But when we come together and get into the Word, it's for the purpose of surrendering to that Word. To be transformed and renewed by that Word. And I want to ask God to do something in us today. That no matter where we have stood, no matter how we have perceived, that today every one of us could leave this place with a greater understanding and awareness of Jesus Christ as King. And the wonders of His government. So there where you stand, I, I want to pray. I want to pray for you. You can be in a state of receiving. You can be in a state of agreement, however you choose. Father, we bless your name. You're good to us in every way. And we thank you for this wonderful and powerful work that you've done on our behalf. To rescue us from a domain of darkness and to transfer us into the kingdom of your son, Jesus. I'm asking now for myself and all of those present. Let there be an increased awareness and surrender to Jesus as King. Let it be individually in our lives and collectively in this congregation. A surrender to His counsel, His calling. A priority to His words and His example. And let the effects of having Jesus be our King be revealed through all of our words and all of our actions, all of our ideas. And let this world see your kingdom as they would see your people. Let our hearts be softened. Let our minds be renewed. And let us embrace this wonderful government that you have brought into our lives through Jesus. Let everything that would be prideful in us bow down. Let everything that would be insecure be built up. Let Jesus Christ in all of his righteous rule and reign, be revealed to and through your people for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.